Welcome to the 419th episode of the Jamie Delaney Plant-Based Wellness Podcast. My name is Jamie Delaney, and I'm your host. I'm a plant-based cardiologist and endurance athlete living in Southwest Florida. Welcome, and thank you for listening. Well, Ian was in September, and I'm finally getting a new roof on my house, so we've had quite the beat going on. I don't think there's anybody in the world that works harder than, than roofers, so my hat goes off to those guys, and they're, and they're much appreciated. Next weekend, I have the Hoka 50 Miler in Huntsville, Texas. It's the Hoka Rocky 50 Miler. This will be the third time that I'm trying to get to the start line of this, and it hasn't been easy. Um, last Friday, Sophie and I was out for a run, and uh, actually we're feeling pretty good. Uh, we've been working on cadence, and um, you know everything was just going really good, and we came from a uh, kind of a crossroad from one street to the next, cutting across, and I don't know what happened, but somehow we got our wires crossed and Sophie clipped my feet out from underneath of me. And I landed on top of her and she squealed and I hit my knees and I saw stars. We butted heads. I immediately had a flat, fat lip and my knees just, I mean, it just felt like somebody hit me with hammers. And I just lay there for a little bit in the middle of the road. I really couldn't move. Um, I just, just in fine, it's like, I, I got to get out of the middle of the road because um, I know how people are on this street. They would have just run us over. And uh, So I kind of edged my way to the side of the road and sat there a little bit to try to get my wits about me. I knew nothing was broken, but it certainly did hurt uh, quite a bit. No blood on the lip, a little bit of scr- I had. It was a cool morning, so I had capris on. So I couldn't feel any real, you know, bad blood thing going on. So funny thing, I tore the thumb out of my glove. So I kind of had a piece of rock in my in my thumb. Uh, turned out that that's one of the things that kind of throbbed most at night. But um, anyway, we finally got up. In my uh, neighborhood, they've been putting sewer pipes in, a new construction to hook everybody up on city water and sewage. And so... I have been running with the sewer crew, the, the, the pipe crew, um, for about a year and a half. And we zigzag. They're on different streets. And we wave. And um, kind of got to know some of them. So it was nice. One of them actually drove the truck up and said, you know, are you okay? Do you need any help? And it's like, no. And I'm okay. And um, I, I kind of I walked home. Had about, a, I don't know, seven-tenths of a mile to walk home. Seemed like a long way. It's amazing how quickly you cooled down. It was about 45 degrees, and I was running in a long sleeve in, in capris, and it's amazing once you get up and you start walking how cold you can get in a short period of time. Note to self, next weekend when it's cold, don't underdress. Take a jacket. Um, but um, anyway, walked home. Didn't feel all that bad. You know, it's one of those things you know you're going to be a little stiff. Um, took a warm shower. A little bit of a, you know, strawberry on my left knee, right knee stiff, but not sure. I, I kind of thought my leg maybe went to the side, um, but I wasn't sure exactly what my injury was, but it didn't feel that bad. And so I went on to work and at noon time, we have nutrition class on Fridays. And I, um, I kind of thought that I would see, um, you know, if I could jog a little bit, cause I had a long, long run plan for Saturday and I kind of hopped around in a short little cadence and didn't feel that bad. And it's like, well, maybe, you know, but maybe I'll cut it back. And I was thinking about, you know, how much I should cut it back. And 
Anyway, I stood up for about an hour, an hour and a half in nutrition class, not really moving, and I could feel my knee swelling. And I guess I need to back up a little bit because there's this thing called voodoo flossing. Um, Kelly Starrett, you can um, Google it if you'd like. Maybe I'll put a link in the show notes. But you can occlude blood flow to an area um, with you know, a band or I use a tire a bicycle tire inner tube and then for a couple minutes and then you release it and you get kind of an increased blood flow to the area and I thought well maybe that will speed up my recovery process so I did that a time or two and it didn't make things worse at the time but then I went to class and I stood up and as I was in class my leg was swelling and swelling and swelling and it got to be that to pivot and reach the oven behind me that was about a foot away seemed like a mile away and I was trying not to kind of let on that I was you know anything was too awful bad um, and I didn't want it to be bad and I you know kind of hobbled my way through class and at the end of class I was actually kind of getting a little bit um, a little bit sick you know I think I put so much fluid in my lower leg that you know I was kind of having volume shifts so to speak and luckily uh, one of our members thank you Linda Albert um, was helping and managed to clean up the rest of the room at rest after we left. And I kind of went back to my office and put my legs up trying to think if I get some of that blood flow out of my, the swelling down, I, I'd be much better. But ended up like hobbling home um, and um, pretty much went straight to the recliner, leg up in the air, over my head to drain my leg out basically uh, with some ice. So if you're gonna try to decrease swelling, you need the part that you're gonna decrease swelling up above your heart level um, is the best way. So I had my leg up on a couple of pillows and ice on it. And by evening it started to loosen up and I was uh, actually able to um, walk up the stairs and was okay. We even ran I think four miles on Sunday but I was really kind of beat on Saturday. So no long run on Saturday, a short run on Sunday, short run on Monday. Or Monday I did five miles. Tuesday I did five miles. And then I kind of woke up with a little bit of a cold and the sniffles. So luckily, hit the vitamin C hard, zinc and quercetin. And that seems, the cold thing seems to be about gone in probably 48 hours. So I'm hoping that's not affecting me. So if I can just stay on my feet... For another week, I think I'm going to make it to the start line. So, again, it's this Hoka 50 miler. I'm, I'm hoping it's worth the wait uh, in the effort to try to get to it. Um, you know, because we want to try some things out. The weather's going to be a little bit cool, so we'll get to, you know, try different clothing out. And uh, it's kind of going to be a practice run for um, April as our main uh, 50 miler, potentially 100K. And then we have the Treasure Coast Marathon in March, and we're going to have uh, a lot of people come and do the half. Um, so it, I'm so excited to see, you know, people to get to meet each other that know, have known each other virtually or followed each other virtually from the practice. So uh, I'm really looking forward to, to seeing everybody together for that one. So that's the running update of this plant-based wellness podcast. But, you know, um, speaking of dogs, uh, I put a post, my oldest rescue, Gretchen, turned nine uh, on Sunday. It was her birthday. And I put a Facebook post, uh, happy birthday, Gretchen. And got a lot of thank you for all the 
well wishes if you're one of those people that said happy birthday to Gretchen. Uh, she's been a great dog. Um, apparently, the story with Gretchen goes is she failed her final exam for her search and rescue um, uh, test, and the owner didn't want her and turned her into a rescue. Um, and we were lucky enough to, to get her. So she's been a great girl. She's got a, uh, she's had some health issues. Um, she came down with pancreatitis about three years ago and couldn't hold anything down. And it started a little bit before then, um, weren't sure what was going on. Um, but finally, uh, it got really bad. She couldn't hold anything down. Um, had to take her to the emergency vet one Sunday and three or $4,000 later in x-rays, they said she had pancreatitis, um, you know, ease her back into some food and here's some pills to ease her discomfort, but not much you can do. And so we we're pretty distraught um, about, um, you know, what we were going to do to help Gretchen. She also had some progressive leg issues. Um, German Shepherds are prone to a neuropathy that affects the, the uh, it's a congenital, uh, or not a congenital, but a, a genetic thing that uh, if you have two recessive genes, it manifests. And uh, I've always kind of thought Gretchen... Um, has some some of that, and she started to develop weakness in her uh, one of her back legs. It's that's pretty weak, but she's still going strong with with her three legs so far. So, you know, we're hoping that she hangs on. She's not in any pain. The one thing good about this is there's it's not painful. Uh, the one thing bad about it is there's nothing you can do about it. Um, but we've been giving her turmeric capsules, and it really does make a difference. And um, noticeably she could get up steps when she takes the turmeric capsules. Um, I ran out, tried to give her a turmeric powder, was not near as effective as the capsules. So um, I am a huge believer in turmeric. We have given it in the root to dogs before, but I'm a huge believer in the capsules now. Uh, 750 milligrams, she takes it twice a day. But it's also good for human uh, joint pain. And I got to tell you, my knee pain uh, goes away with um, the turmeric after my fall. It's good for headaches. Um, and of course, turmeric has anti-cancer benefits. So um, I would advise anybody to keep that on. It works like Motrin, but it doesn't have the GI side effects and doesn't have the kidney side effects. So, and it doesn't interfere with blood thinners. So anybody's safe to take it. Um, it's actually a really good anti-inflammatory medication. So Gretchen takes her turmeric twice a day. And Interestingly, we had another rescue dog, Samantha, who passed away because of the same um, uh, neuropathy. And when we um, decided that we were going to get a puppy and we got Sophie, um, that's when I learned about raw feeding and carnivore and went, did the deep dive. And what's the best diet for a dog? Um, you know, their ancestor, earliest ancestor was a wolf, and it's not that hard to figure out what wolves ate. And anyway, you know, it was a big decision for me to feed my dog meat when I hadn't had my meat in my house for a long time, and I struggled with it. I struggled with the whole idea of, um, you know, killing cows to feed a dog, and we have all these dogs, and, you know, how to feed, even if humans don't eat meat, you know, but we domesticated dogs and cats, and I, I really went down a, a deep, dark hole um, and, and finally made peace with the circle of life, basically, and that I want to eat uh, and feed my family 
the best way I possibly can for them for a health span, not just a lifespan, um, but to make them live as my family to live as well as they can for as long as they can. So I chose to feed my dogs that way. Well, it was a turnaround for Gretchen. No more pancreatitis. End of story. Um, And I'm not going to go down that road much further, but one of the comments on Gretchen's birthday post started to berate me for how I fed my dogs and I didn't need to do this. And you know, I mean, it's, it, it brings up, um, you know, it's a sore subject for me because, again, I, I wish I didn't have to feed. I wish the dogs didn't have to eat uh, other animals, but I, I truly believe that they do. And if I go and look at, go back again and look at humans and why I think a plant-based diet is best for humans, if we look at fruits and vegetables and whole grains, they're mainly carbohydrate. They have about 10% protein and, and a 5 or 10% fat. And it varies a little bit, but for the most part, a plant-based diet is about 75, a whole food plant-based diet is about 75 to 80% carbohydrate and about 10 to 15% protein or 10 to 15% fat. You can shift it one way or another depending on your age and your needs, but um, and other risk factors. But if you look at fruits and vegetables, that's pretty much what they have. So it kind of makes sense that um, if we're going to try to eat a plant-based diet and fruits and vegetables have that exact same percentage, and we know humans don't require that much protein. We need about um, 10% of our calories from from protein uh, to maintain good health, and we know that excessive amounts of protein starts to lead to kidney disease, and um, it's very, very stressful. And you can't just eat protein. You're eating protein and fat, so the higher the protein is in the diet... Usually, a fat's tagged along with it. So, in the standard American diet, most protein comes from animals, um, and so an animal is going to be part protein, part fat. So that shifts that curve up to about a good standard American diet is probably thirty-five percent fat, um, and then um, you know um, probably twenty to thirty percent protein, and the rest carbohydrate. Again, it varies a little bit from, you know, again, a good standard American diet with, you know, a piece of meat, a a potato or grain, and a vegetable, uh, and dairy. That would be the breakdown of the, you know, RDA's good plate. So if you look at humans that get sick with cardiovascular disease and lifestyle diseases, they're shifting towards that standard American diet that's higher in fat. We know saturated fat associated with increased cardiovascular disease and shifting that plate is basically the shift comes from animal products. So if you take the animal products, you shift it back and humans get healthy. Well, the same thing happens for dogs. If you shift it the other direction, the dogs get unhealthy if there's too many carbohydrates because they need more, more protein. They, they, don't, they can't process the carbohydrates. So if you want to get a dog enough calories and enough protein from a whole food source, they're going to, they're going to end up getting a lot of carbohydrate. And, and then hence why Gretchen on a vegan diet got, got pancreatitis. And please don't send me hate mail over this. I'm not going to debate it anymore. Uh, I've made my decision, you can make yours, which leads me to the next point is basically cohabitating. So we started this mess way back when, when we start cohabitating with dogs and domesticated them. So we took dogs in for what they could do for us, and the dogs came to us for what we could do for them, and everything, everybody lived happily ever after for quite some time until more humans came together and started cohabitating. And the process, you know, shifted more towards, you know, maintaining humans and, you know, the dogs became, you know, second fiddle a little bit. 
But if you look at, you know, the decline of our diet, also there was a decline of the diet. You know, the decline of our diet was when people quit cooking and gathering and hunting, and they started eating processed foods, cereals, box foods, TV dinners in the 70s, and it's just progressed to fast food from then. Um, and it's kind of when things went downhill. But if you're going to cohabitate with another human, you got to let them eat what's they think is best for them, I guess is my point of all this uh, diatribe. Um, I, don't, I have not seen anybody really convince anybody by telling them that they have to eat a certain way uh, about them doing it. Uh, so people have to make the decision on their own, and they should get to make the decision for themselves on their own. Um, so, you know, I, I think that, you know, again, that myself and my cohabitation with dogs are a good example that I don't have to eat like my dogs and my dog shouldn't have to eat like me. And, you know, again, people in your family may not want to eat like you, but it doesn't mean you can't choose health um, and make your own decision once you know why. Um, I think that the vegan movement has done a, a whole lot to uh, make a lot of drive people further apart uh, because it's this right or wrong type of thing. The blue zone people we know uh, live to be a hundred, uh, doing quite well, living on their own. Life was not processed. Life for the blue zone people is not automated. It's not fast foods. It's they make their foods. They walk. Um, they, you know, um, move their body they, in, a, in a variety of different planes. A lot of Okinawans sit on the ground a lot. Um, the Italians walk um, and herd sheep, walk up big mountains, so do the Costa Ricans. Um, so life is not easy, yet they live to be 100 years old. They didn't need conveniences, and the conveniences are what I think makes us probably um, not nearly as healthy. If everyone just lived a little bit more simply and took care of what their needs were as far as their nutritional needs or desired desires, um, then we probably wouldn't be that far apart. Um, blue zoners eat a little bit of fish, probably eat a little bit of meat. It's probably two or four ounces a week, maybe. Um, it's certainly not the everything you can, and, and it's basically comes from them um, gathering it, hunting that raising it themselves for the most part. So again, if you're going to cohabitate with someone that's eating a different diet, then they should be able to take care of that part themselves. Um, and perhaps a compromise would be, okay, let's live more like the blue zoners, or let's have you live more like the blue zoners and, and introduce that part to them as opposed to um, the, life of sim the life of convenience. I'm not going to say simplicity because... I think that the blue zoner people, people that have gardens, raise their own food, um, it's not a simple life at all. It's a hard working life, but that's part of their exercise. They don't need a gym membership because they're, they're walking what, where they go. Um, so, so perhaps taking the easy button off the table and looking for things that um, may seem more complicated, but actually you require more effort, and with that effort you become more mindful of what you're doing. I have a fantastic success story. You see them all the time on Facebook, um, and this is an unsung um, success story. Um, I, I didn't really do anything. That man's family really took care of things, but he, um, 88 years old, 
and from Croatia, he and his wife, and he was sick, diabetes, heart disease, heart failure, kidney failure, and his, uh, he, he came to live with his children who were fruitarians. And if you don't know what a fruitarian is, they get more, most of their calories from fruit. Um, they eat some greens, very little in the way of nuts, um, maybe 5% fat. Um, and they decided to give this a try with their dad. And lo and behold, the weight started to fall off of him. His energy started to come back. And at 88, he's normalized his hemoglobin A1C down to a hemoglobin A1C of 4.7. And you'll never see that on a TV ad for a diabetic medication. 4.7, stone cold normal. He normalized his kidney function. Um, he's, ha- he's on no blood pressure medications. And he's out working in the yard. And he and his wife are going to travel back to Croatia to visit. Now, if that's not a success story, eating, and guess what his breakfast is? Seven bananas. So eat seven bananas right now because um, fruit's kind of out of season here a little bit. So citrus and bananas are some of the main fruits that he eats, some berries. But um, it just goes to show you um, that if you really want to change things, uh, it's not about making things complicated. Uh, it's about just going back to basics. And remember, he was a diabetic. Now, they eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner for the most part. Um, I don't think that they graze, so to speak. I think that you have to be careful about the grazing situation. Um, and a lot of people can't eat just fruit because they don't want to sit there and eat seven bananas. You know, they find boredom or whatever. They want cooked food. And to each his own. But I think it takes you back to the most basic uh, of nutritional plans can be the most healthy and given the opportunity your body can heal if you take the toxins away. I've also had people that weren't successful tell me about how perfect their diet is most of the time. And the only time I've ever heard my diet is almost perfect is from people that are really struggling. And it's those people that have the most difficulty remembering exactly what they ate. Um, and it's usually involves also wanting the convenience or wanting to be like the other people, maybe cohabitators, maybe social, social aspects of things. But there was a study done, um, that looked at sports performance and which was more, um, likely to have success if you were goal oriented or process oriented And it turns out being process-oriented gave people much more success than being goal-oriented. So if I take it back, if your goal is to lose weight, you know, and you want to normalize your BMI, your goal is to get off blood pressure medications, you can have that goal all day long, but if you don't have a process in mind, it's probably not going to happen. Um, And the more that you have to accomplish, the more you have to have that process dialed in. And sometimes, you know, if I liken it to a training plan, sometimes you're starting from scratch and just a little bit of, you know, if you have not did any kind of exercise at all and you start going for a walk, you can make great leaps with your cardiovascular progress early on. On the other hand, if you want to run a marathon, then you're going to have to put a little bit more training in it. If you're going to strength train and you want to see some muscle development, you're going to have to have a little bit more of a strategic training plan. And it's a day-to-day uh, how much? How many days can you put together? And what's the plan? And if I liken that to nutrition, it's what you're going to have for dinner tonight. 
You know, what's your plan for the week? Uh, what, how, do, how are you going to achieve this goal of getting off your blood pressure medication if you don't have a plan in place? Um, you know, blood pressure is driven by sodium largely in a, in a lot of people. Um, a lot of people increase sympathetic tone, but there's probably some abnormal vasculature there as well. So, you know, as we get older, we're less able to tolerate salt. 1,500 milligrams a day, seven or 800 come in the vegetables and fruit that you eat. So that leaves you about seven or 800 milligrams to play with. Most people go way over that in one meal. Um, and if you go out, it's done. There's no way that you can go out to dinner and stay in that 1,500 milligrams of sodium. So if the process you're trying to achieve is to get 1,500 milligrams or less of sodium a day, you can see that if you just wing it every day and you have no plan about where you're going to eat, what you're going to eat, or what your food's going to be, it's going to be hard to make progress. And you remember the easy days and you remember the good days, but people don't remember the days that they you know, went out and set themselves back. On the other hand, if you're eating a really simple diet and you're eating fruit all day, and it's, it's hard to remember if you had bananas for breakfast. Um, and again, that's an extreme example, but it's true. Um, if you eat the same thing every day, you can remember what you have every day. Um, and, you know, if you have the same variety, you know, we have a rotation of menus that we do. We might do something new once or twice a week or something that we haven't, we don't do very often, but for the most part, there's a schedule. There's, there's, a, there's a soup involved um, that we may, you know, do twice that week. Um, there's usually a, 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 a Mexican-themed night where it's a burrito bowl, so to speak, uh, rice and beans and different vegetables, and we twist it up. Tonight it was uh, orange and green peppers, pinto beans, rice, uh, mushrooms, with fresh salsa, little avocado, um, and we had some corn tortillas with that. Um, that I got at my local uh, grocer that's just corn masa. Uh, and that went, oh, I forgot, uh, we also had kale in that. So there was the greens in that dish was kale. Um, but so there's usually a, 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 you know, a Mexican type themed dish. There may be an Italian themed dish once a week. It could be a pasta dish or it could be a pizza dish. It's usually not both in the same week. There's usually a stir fry. We vary the sauces. So, you know, we may do a, um, you know, a more of a hot uh, curry type sauce. We may do, you know, different, more of a yellow sauce. So various sauces that will go more ginger, um, more heat, less heat. Uh, maybe even make it a sweet and sour type of thing. But there's some sort of stir fry there. And then there's a really simple night. When it's greens, a potato, and beans. So last night was baby bok choy and a sweet potato and white beans. Delicious. Um, very, very simple. But we know what those meals are going to be. I shop accordingly. Um, I like the anti-cancer benefits of mushrooms, so we have them several times a week. Um, I like shiitake, hen's tail, uh, baby portabella, big portabella. So those are going to go in something every every week. We like baby bok choy. It's really sweet. So that's one thing that we incorporate. I love kale. Whether we eat it raw in the salad or we put it in, you know, and cook it in some way, um, that's really good. Um, we have sweet potatoes once a week, uh, usually. We have white potatoes once a week or so. So um, if you have a plan, 
and then it's much easier to follow that plan and instead of waiting till four o'clock in the afternoon and wonder what you're going to eat or um, you know where you're going to go and how you're going to you know feed yourself and stay on your perfect nutrition plan. There was also uh, a study recently published looking at you know why do people overeat? If you saw the sixty minutes. Uh, segment a few weeks ago, you know, somebody was on there saying it was a brain disorder, so why people overeat. But this study looked at different combinations of food, and highly processed foods um, were one thing that was associated, regardless of what the macronutrient content was, was associated with overeating. The other thing, hyperpalatable foods, again, was associated with overeating. So the food companies know um, you know, to make Fritos salty and crunchy and full of fat and other types taste. Doritos, if I tell you, you know, what's a Dorito taste right now, you, you know really what it tastes like. Uh, and most people can't just eat one. That's what the commercial says, and it's true. So highly palatable, you know, so cheesecake, full of fat, full of sugar, um, very, very sweet things, cakes, candies, pot, you know, um, pastries. Those are very, very difficult for anybody to not overeat. One, just eating them is high calorie, but they go down easy and they don't take up much room. So nobody is special when it comes to not being able to control those things. It is just a very difficult food. If it's available, um, people are going to eat it and people are going to eat a lot of it. And unfortunately, it's available everywhere, you know. So it used to be that, you know, really decadent desserts were either a birthday cake for your birthday or perhaps at Christmas time. But now you can find them every day. You know, there are, those, there, are, there are highly dense foods everywhere all the time, and they're advertised as such. The other thing is eating rate. So eating rate was associated with increased calorie consumption because if you're eating fast, you're probably not being mindful of what you're eating. Um, you know, I've been known for that uh, issue. You know, part of being in the medical field, um, eat when you can, eat as fast as you can, and move on. That's why you see a lot of fat doctors, probably. Um, but, you know, that was the first thing that was told to me on day one of my internship, is eat when you can, sleep when you can. Um, so you grab and go. And a lot of people um, grab and go all the time. You, know, you feel better about yourself if you work through lunch or you eat while you're, you're having lunch. I'm sorry, you eat, you work through your lunch. Um, you know, people think they're working harder, saving time. In reality, they're not. Um, I think you're less productive if you don't take a break. Um, most of the time, people get distracted. So I don't think you accomplish anything more by working through lunch or eating while you're working or eating while you're driving. Um, it just becomes a source of calories that you didn't know went in. And I do believe that is what causes most people that um, think that they don't eat anything and are gaining weight, I believe, is because there's just a constant input of, of food in without being knowledgeable of it. So eating fast, eating very energy-dense food, and it's typically not sugar or fat, it's a combination, and hyperpalatable food, so very, very sweet and fat, salty and fat, those combinations that the food makers know how to get you. So again, if you go back to basics, if I gave you a bag of potatoes and said you can eat every one of these baked potatoes tonight or you can put them in the microwave and you can have them, you're not gonna, nobody's going to do it. Um, probably if I gave you a seven bananas, most of you are going to walk away. You're not going to eat the whole bunch, so I can't eat that many bananas. 
Uh, my, my member did, uh, you know, he eats seven bananas and he's at a really nice BMI. Um, so the bananas aren't what's making him fat, uh, or, you know, it's not going to make you fat, but most people have the idea that that, that kind of volume with fiber would, would, um, cause a problem. So I was reading my email this morning and I had an email from Novartis talking about chocolate covered almonds. And I thought, wow, they're going to send me chocolate-covered almonds. I better click on this to see, you know, what good clickbait that was, right? I want to see if they were sending out chocolate-covered almonds now. So, no, you don't get free chocolate-covered almonds, but you can get free samples of their newest heart failure medication. Um, but they linked or they likened their newest heart medication to chocolate-covered almonds because they informed me, Narvartis is now, are now nutrition experts, I guess, the chocolate almonds, um, chocolate dusted almonds are um, health foods, and so they talked about the free, you know, the flavonoids associated with uh, the chocolate, and of course, you know, almonds are thought to be high in fiber and vitamin E and all these great things, and so they're two in one. A chocolate covered almond, uh, you can, you know, two ways to greatness, and so they link and they liken their new drug that's two drugs in one to two ways of greatness. Um, they, you know, it decreases salt retention and it dilates the arteries. And of course, he said the same thing twice. They say it dilates the arteries and it decreases vasoconstriction, which is basically the same thing. If your arteries are getting bigger, they're not getting constricted. Um, and they decrease fibrosis of the heart. But you can have swelling of your face and your tongue um, it's um, a toxin to fetuses, so you can't take it if you're pregnant. Um, you could abort. Um, it can make your kidney function worse. You can pass out. So there's a few, few drawbacks. There's a few drawbacks to chocolate-covered almonds as well um, because a lot of the chocolate-covered almonds, you know, they say they're dusted, but then most of the chocolate-covered almonds that people actually eat are the milk chocolate, so milk and uh, milk fat and the chocolate and of course almonds are 85% fat so yeah they have some good things but they have 85% fat and nobody eats just one uh, because they are a hyper um, palatable food right and they are energy dense so they lead to overeating so the best way around heart failure and um, avoiding chocolate covered almonds uh, would be to eat a more simple diet with fruits, vegetables, and whole grains. Tomorrow is February the 3rd, which is Heart Health Day. February is Heart Month. Um, you're supposed to wear red, like at Breast Cancer Month, you wear pink. I would like you to go for a walk on Heart Healthy Day and to um, go for a brisk walk um, and listen to uh, the outside, the birds, and get some fresh air, and do big diaphragmatic breaths, and improve your cardiovascular fitness. I would like you to have a big bowl of greens. Um, if you like them cooked or steamed, fine, but keep, keep them simple. A little balsamic vinegar, maybe, um, but keep, keep the sauces very, very simple. Um, I'd like you not to eat meat tomorrow. And I'd like to eat some fruit. You don't have to have seven bananas, but, um, you know, several pieces of fruit, including blueberries, would be great. 
And I think you would go very far uh, in having a good heart for heart day if you did those things. So don't just wear red and hope that somebody else can fix you. Fix yourself by choosing and having a process that you can use to get to your goal of being heart healthy. If you'd like some coaching or some input on heart health, we would love to help you. You can go to drdelaney.com and find out about our practice. Uh, we have a full-time registered dietitian. We have uh, nutrition classes. We have a mobility class that we're putting on Zoom right now as well. Uh, you can email me at jamie, J-A-M-I, at drdelaney.com. We'd love to help you define the process that you need to achieve a long, healthy lifespan and cohabitate with whoever, whomever you would like to cohabitate with and not worry about what they eat. Thank you for listening. Next week, I'm hoping to give you a very positive 15-mile race report. Wish me luck.